0: Two Guys Talking Nostalgia Engine is here. And we need your help. Two Guys Talking has begun stockpiling reviews of great, classic movies, and we want to know what you want us to review. Access twoguystalking.com now and tell us which classic movies, on DVD and Blu-ray, we should put into the Two Guys Talking perspective review crosshairs and help us fuel the Internet's best repository for engaging, nostalgic feature film reviews. Access TwoGuysTalking.com and click any one of the Nostalgia Engine pictures. Tell us which movies you want right now. Action, horror, comedies, even the occasional rom-com. Access TwoGuysTalking.com. That's the number two. GuysTalking.com. The Nostalgia Engine. Ride in nostalgic style while you listen. TwoGuysTalking.com. GuysTalking.com.
1: Scams are one of the most dangerous threats today, especially when it comes to our elders. As the number of victims and money taken continues to skyrocket, realize that there is hope. Scammercast is your frontline battlefield for getting educated on the most recent scams, but also how to defend against them. Join us as we detail the processes, the traps, and the solutions to help us all the scammer hammer the scammers it's time for the scammercast
2: here are your hosts Curtis Bailey and Art Mains hi everyone this is Curtis Bailey
3: elder law attorney in Illinois and your co-host on scammercast.com and this is Art Mains i'm a licensed clinical social worker and your co-host for scammercast.com i'm also the author of scammed 3 steps to help your elder parents and yourself
4: Hi, I'm Marty Gurley. I'm delighted to be here today. I work for Midwest Trust Company and run the St. Louis office. I'm also a licensed attorney and a certified financial planner.
2: We are so excited today to have Marty with us and address uh, three law-based tools that uh, you
3: can use to help prepare for the unexpected. You know, Curtis, this was such a big deal when I went through the scam situation with Bill. And that's another big reason why I am also just thrilled to have Marty with us this morning, because she can really give us more of the nuts and bolts of how do you dig into this stuff and really work on the prevention side from a legal viewpoint. Uh, That's
2: very true, Art. I really want to take some time today to uh, have you share your experiences and how these legal tools helped you respond to the situation with Bill.
3: Yeah, having a good attorney was just invaluable. It was enormously helpful as we were working through the ugly aftermath of Bill's scam. Right,
2: right. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. We're going to talk about three tools that you can use that are all law-based. And uh, Art, you're
3: outnumbered today here. We have two attorneys. uh, Yeah, well, I'll try to keep my P's and Q's in line here just in case because I know you guys could be after me. Right,
2: right. Okay, then we're going to talk about a legal document that's a very important tool to have in your tool chest when you're helping your elder parent potentially prepare for uh, scams and fraud. It's called a power of attorney. And then finally, we're going to talk about A trust and what a trust is and how a trust can be used to help you protect your parent.
3: Yeah you know from what I've I've gleaned trust can really be a way that people can eliminate a lot of potential problems from family members for example who might be a little bit too eager to help themselves to grandma or grandpa's money.
2: Right right and that's why we're so pleased again to have Marty with us today from Midwest Trust Company because she deals with families day in and day out who may be struggling with these kinds of situations.
1: Sponsored by Midwest Trust Company.
2: So planning for the future and preparing for the unexpected is is a bedrock when it comes to us in the elder law practice. What I wanted to start with in this episode is what is this beast called an elder law attorney? I think that a lot of people out there get confused. Because they they think every attorney can handle elder law issues, and that's simply not the case. An elder law attorney is an attorney that chooses to focus his or her practice on issues related to our elders. And that can be as simple as uh, doing estate planning, drafting powers of attorney, which we're going to talk about later, to dealing with veterans' benefits and dealing with other forms of financial benefits that are available to help older folks in our country. Think of it this way. Every doctor is a doctor, but you don't go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor when your knee hurts. In the same way, every attorney is an attorney and licensed to practice law, but if you have elder law issues, you don't go to a bankruptcy attorney. Right, for sure. So that's sort of a, uh, a thumbnail sketch as to what an elder law attorney is. And Marty, I would love to hear from your perspective. Why is it important for people to work with an attorney that focuses on elder law issues?
4: Well, I think every family at some point in their life will have elder law issues, either with their parents or somebody they know or somebody they work with. And so it's really important to find somebody that's a specialist. The law changes so much in this area. And if you don't have somebody that's a true specialist, I believe you're really not getting the best advice. It may be stale advice. They may not be up on what's happening in the different agencies like Mm -hmm. the VA, Medicare, um, Social Security. And in those cases... You have a client that could go for months without benefits that they're truly entitled to.
3: Right, right. Yeah, this comes up in my practice a lot. I I see a lot of uh, elders and their families in my clinical work. And, uh, boy, you know, elder law attorneys are just invaluable because they are really the experts. And and they know about stuff like how to access benefits or how to work with with different legal tools like we're discussing in this episode to help make things easier for families and for the seniors. Because it all comes down to, in my experience, How do you make life as easy and carefree for the senior as you can, and also for the caregiver? Because it's complicated to deal with aging issues, and it's only going to get more so as the age wave continues. Sure.
2: you know, And the independence and control, which we've already talked about in previous episodes of our podcast, and we're going to talk about again later in this episode, is so important to the senior. How do they maintain independence and control over their life? And working with an elder law attorney, Uh, that uh, elder can uh, hopefully successfully maintain that independence and control for as long as possible if it's a positive thing. And we're going to talk about sometimes when it's not so positive.
3: Right. Yeah, I think that's important as well because there is the, the ugly dark side of the law field as well. I mean, there's certainly no shortage of stories of attorneys who have abused elders for their own reasons sure. as well. So sure. I'm glad we're going to talk about that a little bit. Sure.
2: So that's a, that's a great point, Art. And Marty, do you have any, uh, any thoughts on when someone comes to you and says, uh, I'm, I need a recommendation, I need to work sure. with an elder law attorney, sure. what, what do you tell them?
4: You know, I'm in a very fortunate situation because of my business. I work with a lot of elder law attorneys. I know the ones that are really good, that specialize in certain areas that can help them the best. The general public, I think, doesn't have that luxury, right. unfortunately. Right. So they're out there looking for an elder law attorney. And, you know, my advice to them, I typically would give three different references to them and tell them it's really about make sure that they know what they're doing and what they're talking about and can answer your issues, but also make sure there's a rapport because they're gonna know everything about your family. For somebody that doesn't have somebody that can give them a referral, I would say, you know, do your research go online, look at their website, look at their specialties, look at any certifications. There's there's a great organization. It's the National Association of Elder Law Attorneys. Yes. There are chapters in every state. You can actually look up attorneys through through them as well.
2: Right, right. And then we will post a link on our website, scammercast.com, to the National Association of Elder Law Attorneys, uh, because that is an important organization that will focus on attorneys that practice in that, in that area. Art, how did you find the elder law attorney that you worked with when you uh, were dealing with the Bill's situation?
3: Well, I kind of went old school. I I called (laughs) up some friends of mine who were attorneys in other kinds of fields, and I said, help, help. What do we do here? Here's what's going on. This one friend of ours was really helpful, and, and he connected me with this gentleman here in the St. Louis area, of course. And you talked about rapport a moment ago, Marty, and man, that was really the deal. We went to this one attorney first who came from a different referral source, and I don't know what that guy had for breakfast or what was going on with him, but if, if anybody could find a pulse with him, that would have been quite an amazing feat. I thought, do you have any energy at all? And, and he showed no signs that he really got what was happening. With me and with Bill. So it was like, okay, thank you for your time. We're moving on now. And we ended up with this other guy who was just terrific. I mean, sharp and on it and fun. I mean, you know, this was a very serious situation and fraught with a lot of of fear for us. His name was Dave. Dave just said, wow, you know what? We are going to be able to take care of this. Here's what you need to do first, second, third here's my number, call me anytime. And the other good thing was he didn't gouge us. I mean, you know, attorneys unfortunately have this image of being sometimes bloodsuckers, you know, they're Uh, just out for the money. Well, I can tell you that Dave and a good elder law attorney will provide a lot of value for a fair fee. And I think that's one of the things you look for.
4: Well, I think, you know, the interesting thing is if you do get an elder law attorney, they may charge more an hour, but if they know their stuff, it's going to save you in the long run.
3: And that's really what we found, Marty. It, it was yeah. a huge help to us. And we really didn't need to use him a whole lot after the first month or two. But it was really nice to know that he was there. And I did call him occasionally. And, and I did call him later on when things were pretty well settled. But, yeah, it, it made such a huge difference. Right. Well, I think
2: uh, I think uh, what I always tell people, and obviously I practice in the field uh, of elder law, but I, I often get questions or maybe states that I'm not licensed to practice law in. And that's, that's an important point that everybody does need to know. Attorneys are still licensed in individual states. And so obviously you want somebody in your local community that's licensed to practice law in your state. But I oftentimes get asked for recommendations and referrals to lawyers in other states. And the, the recommendation I always give to people is, first of all, start from a credible source and that would be the the NALA National Association of Elder Law Attorneys website the American Bar Association has a great website every virtually every local community will have a local bar association and that's a that's a resource that people
3: should take advantage of as well do you guys know if there's anything like a rating service for uh, for attorneys because i know there is for doctors and And, of course, there's Angie's List for um, some of the home repair people. Do you know if there's anything like that for attorneys?
4: So, yes, there actually is. Um, Martindale.com. But these attorneys are rated by their peers. Oh, okay. So um, that's the only rating service that I truly know of. Right. But we will look, and it will also list the areas of practice on martindale.com. You search by attorney name, by area. They have right. a, a really enhanced search engine.
2: There, there's a newer s- service um, called mm-hmm. avvo.com, A-V-V-O.com. And, and, again, it, it gives uh, peers the ability to comment and and, and rate uh, a fellow attorney, but it also, I believe, gives the public the opportunity to post comments as well. Um, and so that may be a source as well that you should look at, and we'll post a link on our website
3: uh, to that website. So one of the things that, that comes up for me, Curtis, is uh, I'm glad to hear about Avo because – when I hear that peers are are raiding each other, my crap detector goes off a little bit. There, it's like right. I don't know if I trust that or not. I mean, you know, in my field, we all know who the really good therapists are and sure. who the sort of schleps are, and it, it can be a good old boys club or a good yeah. old girls club.
4: You know, my my opinion on that is, actually, you're not getting the client's perspective. You're not getting the service perspective. You're getting a perspective from another attorney that may have been opposing counsel, right. may have teamed with them on something, but you're not getting the client experience perspective.
2: Well, that's right. And that's why it's so important, and I think Marty mentioned this, you, you have to ask a lot of questions. When you're interviewing an attorney, you should not be hesitant to ask any questions because peer ratings are important, and, and what they will give you as the client or the customer, so to speak, is an assurance that the attorney you're talking to is well recognized in the community among professionals, which is important, but that's not going to define your experience as a client of that attorney. And so when you're in front of that attorney, don't be afraid to ask any question that comes to your mind, because uh, a, a good elder law attorney will give you a straight answer.
3: And in the first chapter of my book, I have a simple mnemonic based on the word lawyer that lays out some questions to ask and to guide you as you go through that. And so I would refer people to chapter one of my book, Scammed, Three Steps to Help Your Elder Parents and Yourself. And uh, it's a way to think about how, how to find a good elder law attorney, because one of my pet peeves not so much with my situation with Bill, but in my work with clients, is lawyers and attorneys that won't return phone calls or emails. (laughs) All of this communication just goes into sort of black hole somewhere, and you never hear anything back. So I always like it when somebody will get back to me and give me an answer to a question.
2: I've always heard, and maybe Marty can correct me or, or confirm if this is true, that the number one complaint about the legal profession as a whole is lack of communication not returning phone calls probably in, a, in a timely manner. You know? I certainly
3: hear it on my side of things, too. Clients right. come in or going through divorce, for example, or sometimes it's elder law issues or whatever, and they say, I can't get my attorney to call me back. I right. say, well, show up at their office. You know, <laughs> well, so. That's right. That's
2: absolutely right. It's, it's hard to ignore uh, when they show up at the office. Much harder, yeah. That's right. The, the Before we leave the sources of where you can find attorneys, I did want to mention one other thing, and that is, Ask the trusted professionals you may be, already be working with in your life for recommendations. Maybe you work with a financial advisor. Ask your clergy or your pastor or your minister, uh, your tax preparer. Those kinds of folks oftentimes will have great recommendations on who to talk to. And you know, when you, when you are seeking recommendations for elder law attorneys, uh, don't be afraid to ask more than one person. For a recommendation, you know, get get a get multiple perspectives and multiple recommendations because uh, sometimes the the first person you you ask may have uh, may have a recommendation, but it's not the best one
3: for you. Yeah, I really like that idea. I think that's important. And if you keep hearing the same names over and over, then you probably got good ones there.
2: You know, a couple other things I wanted to discuss with uh, Marty and with you, Art, was when you're talking to the attorney, there are a lot of flavors, even of elder law attorneys. Right, Marty. Some there some, are. some attorneys there are. J- just work on estate planning, which is sure. wills and trusts and those kinds of things. And some elder law attorneys just work on VA benefits and that sort of thing. What we're here uh, to to discuss is you know elder fraud and exploitation and those kinds of things. So don't be afraid to ask the attorney his or her experience with those kinds of issues.
4: And I think it is really important for an elder law attorney to have more than a basic understanding of estate planning it's just it's just so necessary when you're dealing with benefits and how how what they have and what they own and their incomes coming in is going to affect those benefits so i think it's really important you don't have to be able to do everything because i know a lot of estate planning attorneys who are also elder law attorneys if it gets complicated complex maybe there's some business succession issues they'll actually refer the business succession piece out Right, right so the good ones know what they can do that's and right. know where their box is, and they work inside their box.
2: That 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 is a great point. Professionals want to help, and, and uh, oftentimes attorneys will try to extend themselves into an area where maybe they don't have uh, the exact expertise. And so that's a that's a perfect point, Marty. The final thing I wanted to talk about when we're talking about elder law attorneys is uh, something that you brought up, Art, and that is attorneys' fees. I think it's so important that a client have a clear understanding about what
3: the attorney's fees are going to be and how they're going to be calculated. I definitely agree with that. I think you got to know up front what you're getting into and know if it's affordable for you or if there's some arrangement that you can make uh, to, to handle the fees because... Some attorneys charge for phone calls on a minute-by-minute basis. Right. Others charge for written communication or emails. So I think you've got to get full disclosure up front so you know really what you're getting into. That's, a, that's so important, and it's the one thing I wish
2: my clients asked me more frankly.
4: So, you know, regarding attorney's fees, I've kind of seen them all over the board. You could work with an attorney at a big firm and they're going to charge a really high rate. They may not be your best elder law attorney just because they're charging more. Right. And, you know, it's truly okay to ask the attorney, what do you think this is going to cost me all in? How many hours do you think you're going to have to spend on it? What do you think you're going to have to do? It is totally okay. And I think a lot of the attorneys, and Kurt, you you could vouch for this, like to have the discussion because then there are no surprises at the end.
2: That is so true because I want to deliver the service that's appropriate for the client uh, in a timely manner and in a cost-effective manner. There are certain matters, particularly on the estate planning side, where I have pretty much just converted my practice to flat fee billing. So I will perform a service for a set fee. Uh, on the estate planning side, depending on the complexity of the nature, that can range anywhere from you know six seven hundred dollars up to four or five thousand dollars. It just depends on the individual situation. Then there are other kinds of matters, uh, like guardianships, which we're going to talk about in a later episode. Uh, of the podcast where I have to go to court and I have to interface with the judges and other lawyers. And it's hard to, to calculate what a flat fee would be for that kind of matter. So I would bill by the hour. You know, I I, I don't know kind of what the, the average in the community is, but I would suspect that it's probably anywhere from $150, $175 an hour up to $350, $400 an hour again When you go to a bigger firm, uh, oftentimes they have overhead expenses that a smaller firm does not have, and so that may account for some of the variance in the legal fees. But the key point for me is, let's have that conversation up front between you and me, client and and attorney, and let's make sure that we're on the same page and we understand. And don't be afraid to put some limitations Mm -hmm. and say, here's what I expect, here's
3: what I can afford. And then let's reevaluate. And I think it's important for listeners to remember as well that the fees are going to be relatively higher in areas in other parts of the country. You know, East and West Coast fees are going to be higher than they are here in the Midwest. Right. So keep that in mind as well as you look for an elder law attorney.
4: Yeah, I would say probably what I have seen as far as average fees is around the 3 350 in the St. Louis metropolitan area on right. um, The the Missouri side of the river is kind of what I have been seeing. But if you go to the big firms, there are some firms that are $600 an hour. So, And they'll tell you, well, we'll get our paralegal or our junior partner to work on it or whatever. Again, look at it and decide what's best for you and the issues that you have.
2: That's right. That's right. That's great advice. And uh, to your point, Marty, you know, make sure that you understand who's going to be involved working on your matter and uh, if you are okay with having a paralegal, and there are some very highly trained, very good paralegals. Uh, and if that's okay with you, then then super. That's an avenue where you can maybe save some expense, uh, also if you have a junior attorney. Again, the junior attorney is going to be supervised typically by the senior attorney, but uh, just make sure it's okay with you and make sure you understand when you sign that contract or that agreement with the lawyer exactly who's going to be working on your matter and how much the fees are going to be.
3: We just hit you guys with a lot of information and we hope this is clear for you. So what do you think? For those of you listening out there to our podcast today, was this clear for you? (whistles) Did it answer your questions or did it just raise more questions for you? Let us know what you think. Fill out the easy web form at scammercast.com or find the link to our Facebook presence also at scammercast.com. And we look forward to hearing from you and we'll answer your questions as we can.
2: Okay, the the second tool that we want to talk about in today's episode is, from my perspective as an attorney, maybe one of the most important documents that you can use as a caregiver to help your elder family member, and that is called a power of attorney. Powers of attorney are legal documents where an individual has the ability to appoint an agent to take certain actions on behalf of the individual when that individual can't take care of them themselves. So here's here's the basic uh, skinny on this. All right, it's a document where I could appoint Art. To take care of my finances if I were incapacitated and couldn't take care of them myself. Bottom
3: line, end of story. That's what the document looks like. Exactly. And we used this a lot uh, when I was working with the aftermath of Bill scam because he really didn't know what he needed to do with all of this stuff. And Dave, the attorney, and I were going back and forth about all these different things. And so Bill decided of his own accord that he wanted to sign a power of attorney for me to just handle all this stuff. So that gave me all the the power I needed to talk to the banks and the credit card companies and to his brokerage and to everyone that I needed to talk to to work out this god-awful mess that the scammers left us with. So it was – I cannot tell you how important it was to have that power of attorney signed.
2: Right, right. Let's talk in a little greater detail about a power of attorney and and who who should – Who should a client or an individual name? Who should the elder name as the agent? Art, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: Well, I think you've got to be very careful because Mm -hmm. you're giving this person so much power over your future. And as we mentioned before, there are lots of stories about power of attorney abuse. So I think you've got to be very careful in your thinking Does this person have a history of any kind of shady dealings, or are, are they maybe not so honest about stuff, either directly lying or lying by omission? We all know when somebody feels sneaky, that's not the person you want. You want someone who is extremely high integrity and will do whatever it is that you ask them to do within reason, of course. Right. And you want someone who is open and transparent, I think and that you trust with your life because if they get a hold of your money and they abuse you because I have heard those stories too in my work that you gave the wrong person the power and boy, it can be hard as heck to get that back and they can create all sorts of havoc for you. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm
2: talking to clients about powers of attorney
3: and who they should name, I always sort
2: of use this little memory device and it's somebody you obviously know Somebody you like, well, that's two pretty simple things, but the most important and the most critical is somebody that you trust will act in your best interest because the agent has a duty to act in the best interest of what we call the principal, the person who's signing the document, right, Marty?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, powers of attorney are one of those things for an institutional fiduciary, they scare us. Just as you indicated, there is so much power. Very different than other other capacities that we serve where we have a roadmap of what we're supposed to do. Sure. With a power of attorney, you can do anything with their financial assets, just about.
3: And that's what's scary and yeah. also empowering. So, Marty, I want to back you up for just a second, though. And you used the word fiduciary. Would yes. you explain what that means to our listeners?
4: Yeah, so a fiduciary is someone that acts on your behalf, that truly puts your interests before their own in everything they do. Is this
3: a legal relationship? It is.
4: It is a legal relationship. So under the power of attorney, you're going to have an attorney, in fact, that is your fiduciary. That is the person that is acting on behalf of the principal, which Kurt had talked about. So yes, that is a fiduciary relationship.
3: So the principal is the person who is granting the power of attorney.
4: Exactly. Is that correct?
3: Okay, good. So it's a legal relationship that requires that the agent or attorney, in fact, put the needs of the principal first and foremost. Is that correct? Okay. That's right. In fact,
2: there are really, I think, four distinct responsibilities that a fiduciary has. Number one, they have to act in the best interest of the principal. In other words, they they can't act in their own self-interest. They have to do what's right for
3: the principal. So the selfish need not apply.
2: That's exactly right. Number one, I mean, that's why it is the first duty. The selfish should not apply. You have to put yourself into the shoes of the person you're acting on behalf of and say what's
3: right, what's so best for them. So that's an important point for someone when they're choosing an attorney, in fact, or, or their granting power of attorney is, is this person selfish? Are sure. they able to put their selfish needs aside and make the principal's needs first and foremost? First and
2: foremost. Okay. Very true. The second duty that a fiduciary has is that they have to manage the money and the property. I mean, that's the whole reason why we're doing this and so you have to take it seriously. It's an important task, it really is. The third duty is you have to keep that money and property separate from your own. So you can't commingle this into the account. So back to your point about the selfish need not apply, you can't all of a sudden bring mom and dad's money and deposit it into your account. You have to keep the account separate. And, and, and make sure you're doing what's, what's
3: right and what's best with their property. So what we're talking about in my world of mental health is good boundaries. People who have a clear sense of what their property is and what the, the other person's property is. And the two never, ever mingle. There are no loans to the attorney right. or any of that kind of stuff. That's right. Okay. That's right. And then finally, as sort of a tag on, you have to keep good records.
2: You, you have to make sure you're keeping records of the transactions and the actions that you've taken on behalf of your family member, your parent. So, they are four very important duties. And, and not, uh, this is not a decision that a client should take lightly. They should, you know, I, I see so many clients that will come in and say, well, just name my oldest child
3: as the power of attorney. And sometimes that's not the right person. You know, I've seen where frequently that's not the right person because if there are multiple siblings involved and they designate just the oldest child by default, number one, that child may be super irresponsible, may be dishonest, and it may introduce a whole element of family drama that the parent never intended. Have you ever seen stuff like that, Marty? Of course,
4: (laughs) and a little bit. And, you know, you may have another one where – they, they live with one of the other siblings. Yes. Um, you know, I don't think you can just blanket say, oh, it's going to be my oldest child. You also have to think about, do they have time to do it?
5: Good because question. it is yeah. a
4: time-consuming thing. It right? is something that you're taking on. You are fully re- responsible, and you're the only one that's fully responsible. Right. So, it, I mean, it's a big duty for sure.
3: It sure sounds like it. And I know it was a lot of work when I was doing it for Bill. Mm-hmm. Are there certain signs that you guys think people should watch out for of someone who maybe is designated the the agent or attorney, in fact, but they're starting to go off the path, like signs of power of attorney abuse or anything that might be helpful for our listeners to pay attention to?
2: Well, I think probably the first and foremost thing that comes to my mind is transactions – that are larger than maybe the principal had ever done in the past mm-hmm. ever made and, and are completely out of character so that's it. when i see things that are unusual i think that should raise your your antennae to say okay I need to inquire further. What's going on here? So So,
3: weird stuff in terms of either the size of the transactions or the types of transactions. Yes. Okay. Yes.
2: Well, uh, maybe one sample that comes to mind would be charitable donations. That oftentimes is an area where all of a sudden the the principal may have had a set charity, and now all of a sudden the agent comes in and changes it to a charity that may not be so legit. Okay? That's that's Mm -hmm. a common example. Another kind of transaction based on, on scope and, and difference, would be all of a sudden these expenses that come out of nowhere, you know, for home improvement, for home upkeep, for maintenance, things like that that are easily, frankly, easily faked.
4: You know, it's um, it's interesting. It could be those additional expenses. It could be not paying some expenses, well, not paying some expenses, right, right? Sure, not sure. not paying attention to what's going on. Or what I have seen sometimes is there hadn't been a pattern of gifting previously, and all of a sudden, gifts are being made to other folks. And the hard part about it is nobody really has authority or, or anything to look to see what's going on. Right. You know, nobody really can, without so, the court involvement. So
3: is there a way to set that up, though, when you set up the power of attorney? Is there some sort of accountability that you could build in? Well,
2: I have seen some occasions where you will build into an individual document, a power of attorney, that if the agent is going to institute a gifting program or make a larger gift than a certain dollar amount that they actually have to get an independent third party to sign off on it. Well, that sounds like a good idea. Like maybe a tax advisor or a CPA or, or some independent person that you, the agent has to go to
3: in order to effectuate the, the transaction. So any big change or change from a usual pattern right. would trigger some sort of review is right. the way it sounds.
2: Yes, very much so. And mm-hmm. as, as Marty says, the ultimate accountability would be filing a court action. Obviously, that's a, that's a challenging process. It could be an expensive, time-consuming process. But if there are clear signs that the agent is abusing the uh, privileges and the rights under the power of attorney, the, the the only remedy may be to go to court to ask the court to revoke it. And and make the agent show those records and and justify the actions that they've taken.
3: Is there any way to freeze any further activity on the part of the the attorney in fact, so that they can't just rummage through and pillage all the assets and steal everything?
2: Well, uh, the only the only good uh, example of that would be if the principal still has mental capacity. Now anytime we execute legal documents the the individual signing the document has to understand what they're doing in order to be able to sign the document okay Uh, and mental capacity is a topic that probably Marty and I could go on for for hours and hours about the different examples but the baseline is if the principal still has mental capacity the principal can always revoke the power of attorney.
3: Is there a quick way for our listeners to understand some of the markers of mental capacity like how do you know if a person has mental capacity
4: i don't know that there's really any markers i mean i i think i think what you're looking at in those situations are actions that are not normal for that person because right. everybody's going to show signs of dementia or whatever very differently so it, it's hard to say that there's going to be markers but typically if you know somebody on a personal level right. you'll know if something is amiss.
2: Yeah, if you have a, a long-standing relationship with a client, you, you can see when things are changing. And it's it's so difficult these days with Alzheimer's and dementia and, and the progression of that horrible disease when an individual can have a cognitive impairment maybe that's just very slight. And when they come to the office, they they understand what you're saying. They have given you an indication that this is what they want. That it really is a, the legal standard. Now, I will tell you this. One thing that I often do if I have a question about a client's mental capacity is I will bring in a professional to administer a what we call a mini mental examination. And that mm-hmm. is a way for me to have an independent third party come in and administer an exam and then give me an opinion, yes or no, thumbs up or thumbs you know, down.
4: Typically, when I find that somebody has um, <clears throat> some capacity issues, they, don't, they stop responding. I stop oh, hearing from them. Right. I, you know, I stop, and so I know something's going on. And right. so you delve in a little deeper um, to see what's going on. But typically, it's because they stop responding. You just don't. They either forget about it, or they're not interested, or they don't have time for it anymore, or something. Right. One
3: of the behaviors that I have come across in my work with this area is a, a very early sign of coming cognitive impairment is the inability to balance a checkbook Mm -hmm. or figure simple things like tips. That's indicative that that part of the brain is starting to be impaired, and it can show up from what I remember three to four years before other signs of cognitive impairment show up. The other thing that I have written about in my book is here in St. Louis at Washington University, some researchers have come up with an instrument called the AD8. It's the eight-item informant interview to differentiate Alzheimer's and dementia, I think is what it is, long, long mouthful of words. But it's a very simple eight-item checklist that is done by an informant, so it could be someone close to the person, that is an early indicator of a coming cognitive impairment. And I have that link in my book. And uh, it it really – it isn't meant to be conclusive in diagnosing this, but it could give you the sign that maybe you need to go further and get a professional assessment like with a mini mental state exam or something like that. So remember, that's the AD8, the letter A, letter D, and the number 8.
4: So the Alzheimer's Association has adopted that and have it on their website as well. Oh, good. It's something that they use that when Kurt and I are both very active with the Alzheimer's Association Foundation in, right. in the metro area. And um, they actually have a toolkit that they've given to to attorneys and to other professionals that includes that sheet.
3: Fantastic. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, i got to give a lot of credit to the Alzheimer's Association. I've done some work with them and, and co-presented with the local uh, one of the local directors. And it's just really good folks. So to all of our listeners out there, if you have questions about your your senior, uh, go talk to the folks at the Alzheimer's Association. They're really helpful.
2: They are, and we'll, we'll post a link on our website to the, the St. Louis local chapter as well as the, the national organization because great. there are so many great resources there. And if you're a caregiver of, of a senior, you're on the front lines. You see this happening over time, and you really need to be aware Of sort of the signs uh, of of a problem approaching, uh, like the inability to balance a checkbook, the uh, failure to pay a bill that uh, a senior's paid for years and years, uh, for getting telephone numbers, mm-hmm. for getting directions, there's there's a whole host of them, and so we'll we'll have the link there for
3: you folks to take a look at. There's a great TV commercial that I saw in the last week or so, where this older gentleman has his wife asking him, "Have you seen my car keys? Have you seen my car keys anywhere?" and he opens up the refrigerator and finds them in there next to the milk. So it's it's a pretty powerful example of the kinds of changes in our brains that, that can really make a difference and might signal the need for something like a power of attorney.
2: Well, that's right, and that's that's why, as I stated earlier, I think a power of attorney is such an important document. It is, it is without a doubt, a powerful document. And it is, without a doubt, a document that can be abused when it's in the wrong hands. But in the right hands, And particularly in the situation of preparing for the possibility of having to deal with a scam or any sort of financial exploitation, a power of attorney is a powerful document. And it's so critical to have because the only alternative then, if you don't have one, is to ask the court to appoint you a guardian, which is a long legal process and it's expensive and you'll be under court supervision. We're going to talk about guardianships in in another episode coming up real soon. So a power of attorney is such a super critical document to have in your toolbox when dealing with scams and fraud. Speaking of supercritical, we have some important information that we want to pass along to you. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back at scammercast.com.
1: It's time to take a break during this episode of the Scammercast. Have you reviewed the other programs in our online archive? Listen to them via the complete archive at our website, scammercast.com help us to educate and protect our seniors. We'll be right back. Hello. Do you know who this is?
0: Two guys talking the matrix? Yes. It was a movie that smashed records, imaginations, and limits for gunfire inside of feature films. The Matrix 1999, directed by the Wachowski brothers, was recently put squarely inside the crosshairs of the perspective review from Two Guys Talking. We talk about the hype, the money, the good, the bad, provide a rating, and discuss the franchise. Also, learn about all the great weapons utilized inside The Matrix from SovereignArms.com's Matt Gummersell, senior firearms instructor specializing in dynamic weapons training. Don't miss yet another record-breaking perspective review from Two Guys Talking. All this and more is waiting for you, as well as the decision to take the blue or the red pill. Over at twoguystalking.com forward slash matrix. It's the perspective review of 1999's The Matrix. Only from Two Guys Talking.
5: A recent study found that most older adults fear running out of money during their retirement years, even more so than their fear of death. A trust can be an effective way to manage and protect your assets while you are alive. Now, many folks believe that trusts are only for rich people. They are not. Midwest Trust Company of Missouri, located in Clayton, Missouri, offers professional trust management for clients all across the country. Using Midwest Trust is a great way to know that someone with experience and integrity will manage your wealth objectively. Naming Midwest Trust can provide you with peace of mind in knowing that you or your parents will not be exploited financially and lose all of the assets acquired during a lifetime of hard work. Midwest Trust will even work with you or your parents' own financial advisor. Don't let fear of running out of money drive your life. Contact Midwest Trust Company today by visiting the link to their website at scammercast.com. The discipline to grow, the strength of experience, the ability to adapt, values that endure. Midwest Trust. Looking for a straightforward user interface on a cost-effective feature-filled multi-track recording software? Call off the search. MixCraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out MixCraft now over at Acoustica.com forward slash MixCraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today.
0: The movies have taken generations, young and old, by storm. Toy Story starring Tom Hanks and a voice cast that just will not quit, are ready to be reviewed by Two Guys Talking. Be sure to join me, Mike Wilkerson, and an array of guest hosts as we review each and every one of the beloved Toy Story franchise, one, two, and the most recent three, only from Two Guys Talking.
3: Greetings from behind the walls of the Castle of Common Sense. And I'm not driving righteous indignation down the throats of other common peasants. I listen to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network.
5: Welcome back to ScammerCast, your headquarters for the education and prevention of scams against our elders.
3: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Curtis Bailey, your co-host at ScammerCast.com. And Art Mains, your co-host also at ScammerCast.com. We are delighted to have you with us. And we're joined today by Marty Gurley. The
2: attorneys have taken over the podcast, Art. Oh my God, I have to run for my life here. (laughs) Uh, Well, we're talking today about three law-based tools that people can use to help them prepare for the possibility that their elder parent may be a victim of scams and frauds. We've talked about how to pick an elder law attorney and we've talked about what a document called power of attorney is. The third thing we want to talk about today, which is right up Marty's alley, is a trust. And a trust is a legal document that is created appointing an individual who's a fiduciary, we've already talked about a fiduciary, as trustee to manage assets on behalf of certain individuals for the benefit of other individuals, or it can be the same individuals, but we're going to let Marty talk about this a little more. It's really a device that people can use. We use it all the time in estate planning for people to
3: manage their assets and avoid probate. And for our listeners out there, it can play a huge role in reducing family drama because if somebody else is managing your mom or dad's assets, then you reduce family drama. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Marty, you are
2: a professional trust officer, so why don't you tell our listeners what that means?
4: Midwest Trust is an institutional, sometimes they call it a corporate trustee. We will serve in a variety of capacities. We will serve as trustee of a trust. We'll also serve as co-trustee with with somebody's um, family member if they would like. Um, We will serve as personal representative under their will and handle any probate matters for them. We will also serve as a conservator if we need to, if somebody actually is declared incapacitated by the court and needs conservatorship. Okay. So
3: is that what that means, is somebody has a conservatorship if they're incapacitated?
4: Right, but it's a declaration by the court. Gotcha. And so under a conservatorship, there are annual accountings that are due. In the St. Louis County and in the city, you actually have to have vouchers before you can pay anything, which means the court has to sign off of anything you pay for the conservator and then you account to him on an annual basis of what you did.
2: Oh, cool. Yeah. Thank some, you. some states in, in Illinois, we don't call it a conservator. We call it a guardian of the person or a guardian of the property. And many states will use the term guardian to mean the same sorts of things. But what I'm hearing here, Marty, is a conservatorship is
3: only applicable to the property and the finances. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Is there a different term for if someone is managing the person's health care? Is that a different area?
4: it's a guardianship it's also a guardianship. it's a guardianship of the person
3: right Mm -hmm. right and
2: so they're they're involved in the medical decisions and the decisions that don't affect finances so again in illinois we we've combined the terms into guardians in missouri they're still separate guardian and conservatorships and depending on what state you live in or even what country you're in the the term may be very different but the concept is going to be the same it's appointing an individual to take charge of the finances and be responsible Great.
3: Thank you for that.
4: So we're really focused right now on the trust. And as I said, we would serve as a corporate trustee at Midwest Trust. And, you know, a lot of people, what what does that even mean? Well, there is a trust document. And in the trust document, there is an actual appointment of a name of Midwest Trust or another of a trustee, an individual or whomever it may be. And within that trust document is a roadmap of how that trustee is to administer the assets. Right.
3: Okay, great. So what kinds of things would be in that roadmap? Like how you handle their money or how you dispose of their property, that sort of stuff?
4: Yes, absolutely. So there would be what we do upon the client's death. It would tell us the things that we pay upon the client's death. It would tell us what we do with the money after the client's death. So many times a client will leave their money in trust for their children or other beneficiaries. And it will tell us how to split that money out and what it can be dispersed to those beneficiaries for. There are also provisions in trusts that a trustee can step in upon incapacity as well. Oh, that's good. So you don't have to go through the conservatorship proceeding if you have that in there and you have a new trustee that just steps in.
2: That's a huge point. I know in in dealing with clients who have trusts, I always draft every trust to have an incapacity provision in there because if, for example, my client has appointed Midwest Trust Company as a trustee or a co-trustee, then Midwest Trust can get involved even before the client passes away and make sure that those assets are being used, in fact, for the client's benefit.
3: And that's just another safeguard, particularly when we're talking about scams and frauds and exploitation. Right. Yeah, I wondered with the whole idea of scams and frauds, if you could put something into the trust document that says, in the event of scam and fraud victimization with these kinds of criteria, would that trigger the trust... Taking care of things. Is that possible?
2: Well, that, that's a long and complicated answer, I think. But my, my, my short answer on that is, yes, you can. If the client wants to put those kinds of restrictions or requirements in the trust document, then absolutely you can do that. It's not an illegal provision. The, the, the question, I think, is going to be more of a practical nature, and that is, who's going to make the decision When that day comes, you know, because Marty will tell you, she may not know that uh, Midwest Trust has been named as a successor trustee uh, until a client passes away or until somebody from the family lets her know. So I I think the short answer is, yeah, you can absolutely put those kinds of things in the document. It's going to be more about how do we alert the successor trustee that their help is needed. Right. And, and, okay. that may, and, and the, I may answer my own question, and that is, if I have a relationship with a client and I know these things are going on, then I, I may need to alert Marty to the possibility that there's an issue.
3: Well, for example, there was an article that uh, you showed me recently, Curtis, about trusts and elder abuse and that sort of thing. And one of the questions that this attorney laid out in, in this whole list of questions was, I enter contests that require payment of my own funds to participate. Now, that's, of course, one of the dead giveaways for a scam that we've talked about. And maybe that could be one of the questions that you apply to trigger some sort of help in the event of a scam or fraud.
2: And I, I I completely agree. And I think that the more detail that we as attorneys can put into trust documents, it certainly makes Marty's life as the trust officer easier because now you're essentially just going to be guided by whatever the trust document says, yes, right? Yes,
4: yes. Yeah, that that's exactly what it is. And, you know, being a corporate trustee, we do have a lot of regulators, and we have actually had a lot of talk specifically about fraud. And it's not necessarily just elder fraud, but fraud. You know, there was was about 10 years ago a know your client push that all financial institutions know their client. And in the trust world, it's easier to do than just a regular banking world because we're actually talking to them on a regular basis. We're talking to the beneficiaries. We have had situations recently where we've received emails, somebody asking us to transfer money. And it was their email address. Absolutely their email address.
3: Yeah, scammers are good. They're very good. Mm,
4: But what we have, we do have a policy in place. We create a policy so that we know with each of our clients what form of communication we have, whether it's regularly email, regularly telephone, regularly face-to-face. And we have red flags. So if they're changing an account number and then shortly thereafter couple days, couple weeks. We get an email wanting to transfer, transfer money. These are all red flags.
3: Great. And Great within
4: up. our walls, within our four walls, no one person has the power to do anything in anybody's account. We require dual control at all times. So Fantastic. That's
3: good. That's a good safeguard. If there's an email
4: that comes in, it gets printed, and somebody else who knows the account has to sign off on it. And we have caught a lot of them. There was one that went out, but then we, we caught it before it Hit the account so, like within minutes of sending it, we caught it, and so we really haven't had that much of a problem because it is something that's very real that we have to look into. Right,
2: and that's great. <laughs> you know, you, you raised an important point, Marty. Individuals can be trustees of trust, right? Sure. And, and oftentimes, clients will name a child or children to be the trustee of the trust, but it can oftentimes be a daunting task to be the trustee, right? Because they have those fiduciary duties.
4: It, it is. As it well. is a daunting task. And I can only imagine me having to do it individually without the resources I have at work. Right. It would be a daunting sure. task. A lot of times when I do talk to potential clients or some of my clients, and they have somebody they want to name, I always say, well, that's great. What do they do for a living? Oh, they're an accountant. They're a managing partner at this accounting firm. Do they have children? Yeah, three of them. They're in soccer and everything. Yeah. Do they have time? <laughs> Good question. Right. right. And so a lot of times what I will recommend is – you can name a corporate trustee as a co-trustee with your son or daughter if you want them to still be involved. And as a corporate trustee, I mean, Kurt, you know the law keeps changing for all of us. There are so many laws around trustee duties, what you have to do, accounting to beneficiaries, the information you have to give them on a regular basis, that for an individual who doesn't know that, You could miss one of those things and not even realize it. So having a corporate trustee involved, whether or not it's Midwest Trust, but having a corporate trustee involved can take that heavy lifting off of the individual so they Mm. don't have to worry about
3: that stuff. This sounds like such a good idea. Why don't more people use this?
4: I believe one of the issues that they say they don't use it is cost. However, when you look at a return on investments and what you're getting, the fees that trustees normally would charge is minimal very very minimal
3: well that's a perception that that i've certainly had from others that i've talked to is that oh trusts are just for rich people but they're really not is what you're saying
4: they're they're really not and with with the tax rates going up so high and everything there are so many different reasons there are family issues um spendthrifts you may you may be able to protect it from a divorce in the family. Right. there are tons of other issues. You may have a child that has some special needs or something like that yeah. that you need to shelter those assets basically so that they don't look at them for determining if they can receive benefits or not. There's tons of different issues. Kurt, you see them as well.
2: Yeah, I I see them uh, every day. And the, the trustee decision is as important, I think, as the power of attorney decision. Because again, it's gotta be somebody you know, like trust has time to do this and has accountability. And I think that's something that a corporate trustee like Midwest Trust Company offers to clients is the fact that they've got accountabilities. You've got procedures in place as you mentioned, the countersigning mm-hmm. uh, of actions. That, mm-hmm. That's that's a huge thing that can give a client um, the confidence knowing that you're going right. to do your job in accordance with the document and their best interest. Mm-hmm. Now, briefly, we talked about attorney's fees uh, in the context of elder law, and obviously you you don't do this for free. Right. So right. how, in general, how do corporate trustees typically charge for their services,
4: um, corporate trustees typically charge for their service based on the market value of assets. So it'll be a percentage of market value. In the St. Louis area, I think the lowest fee based on market value is at ninety basis points, which, which is point nine percent. Okay, so not even one percent, and I think it goes up to one point six five percent in the St. Louis market. You know, when you think about what the stock market has done this right. last year, I mean, it it has been really great. And taking 1% of that return for a professional corporate trustee service is, I mean, to me, it's kind of a no-brainer for some people. For right. others, it doesn't, may not make sense. But for some, it definitely does. So,
2: Well, for our listeners that work with fee-based financial planners or financial advisors, that's essentially what they're doing as well, right?
4: Oh yes, absolutely. And I think you can go anywhere with with just investment managers. They may be a lot lower, but they can be a lot higher too. Right. And there are some hidden fees in there that just aren't as transparent as well. The, some of the trustees, they may charge for additional services if there's real estate there that needs to be sold and things like that. Our fee is just all in. Everything that we do is is the one right. the one
3: fee. Is that one of the ways a person should think about choosing a trust company if they're considering this? Is are all of their fees clear and upfront and there's no hidden gotchas in this stuff?
4: Typically there are no hidden gotchas with trustee fees. You just have to ask for the fee schedule you know as long right. they every trust company has a published fee schedule and if you don't go in and dicker you're going to be put on the public published fee schedule and it's published meaning it's on their website it's wherever so they may or may not hand you the fee schedule so definitely just ask for the fee schedule have the conversation right. just as you do with attorneys again it's much easier to have the conversation up front than after they get their statement the first month and have a fee charged on it. <laughs>
3: yes, that's right. So we right. would
4: much rather go go ahead and have that conversation as
3: well. So you're suggesting that a person might be able to negotiate a better deal on the fee structure?
4: Absolutely. But that's typically with clients with larger amounts of assets under management. Okay. Okay. Right. Or if they have some kind of unique asset that has a large market value, but there's really not a lot of liability and, mm. and work done with it. So.
3: Interesting, oh, that's cool, <laughs> yeah. that's very cool.
2: Yeah, that's, that's uh, great information. And to kind of uh, bring it all back home in the context of scams and frauds, having uh, an independent corporate trustee, uh, I would think could be a huge benefit to a client and sort of that independent eyes and ears looking out for the possibility of scams and frauds.
3: Yeah, I think of it as kind of a watchdog looking out for Definitely. the senior as well. Would you agree? I,
4: I would say so, too. And then we also get the question a lot, well, what kind of insurance do you have? Well, typically trust companies have E&O insurance on their employees in and case which of fraud. Is, what it's errors and omissions. Oh, gotcha. So it is basically based on employee fraud. If somebody takes off and right. heads to the Bahamas with your money, sure. you're covered on that. If there are bank-type deposits, like checking accounts, savings account, money market accounts, CDs, you have FDIC insurance right, as well. And then we also have our regulators, which a lot of people don't understand. They're in our shop every year, whether we like it or not. Right. They're in our shop every year, and they go through everything. They look at all of our books and records, and they pull a sampling of files. And they are there for about three weeks. They usually have three to four. I had ten one time that were in our shop. And they sit there and they camp out and they go through everything with a fine-tooth comb.
3: No stress there, huh? No
4: stress. No (laughs) stress whatsoever. So trust companies are really very highly regulated, I think more so than most industries are.
3: Well, this is great information. I really hope our listeners are are taking this to heart and giving some thought to this because I can see how this would be – Huge for helping people avoid scams and avoid financial exploitation and abuse.
4: Well, of course, I'm biased. I I do believe that most trust companies that I know and most of the people I know do a really good job.
2: Great. And, you know, I think to to wrap this all up, you know, we've been talking about the scams and frauds in our previous episodes, you know, sort of the grandparent scam, the uh, gift card scam. But an area that we're going to be talking about in an upcoming episode is the exploitation of a senior by a family member or yeah. by a trusted individual. And that's where having an independent corporate trustee can really show its worth.
3: Yeah, financial exploitation and abuse by a family member is such an ugly and painful area. It just brings so much heartache to to the elder and also to the family. So this is really good information. So how about you, uh, ladies and
2: gentlemen? Uh, Has this been clear to you? We've dumped a lot of information about some legal terms and topics. Let us know what you think. Let us know your questions. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your experiences. Log on to our website, scammercast.com. Fill out the uh, web form and visit our Facebook site. And the link is on scammercast.com. And let us know what you think.
3: Hey Marty, one more quick question for you. Do you know for our international listeners, are there similar kinds of organizations or, or companies, I guess, in other parts of the world like the UK or Australia or Canada? Do you know anything about that?
4: Are you talking about specifically institutional fiduciaries?
3: That can... Yes, that sort of thing, trust companies.
4: Yes, definitely there are. And there are some trust companies in the United States that can work with international clients as well. We're one of them. So we do, we do have several international clients ourselves.
3: So can you work with people from all over the United States as
4: well, yes, we can wow, fantastic, can, yeah,
3: okay, all right, well, Marty, thank you so much for joining us today. you've given
2: us a lot of information to talk about, and I hope we can uh, see you back here in the future.
4: Thank you so much yeah for it's having been great
3: me. having you on, and I hope that all of our listeners find this really helpful and and I hope also to you out there listening to us that it gets you thinking about some different ways to help prevent scams and frauds against your your seniors and and really help keep them safe and secure so that they get to live that peaceful, carefree life in that part of life. Again, ladies and gentlemen, visit our website, ScammerCast.com.
2: We'll have links to the documents we discussed today in the show notes. Please interact with us. We would love to hear from you. So until next time, this is Curtis Bailey,
3: co-host of ScammerCast.com. And this is Art Mains, your other host of ScammerCast.com. Thanks so much for listening.
4: I'm Marty Gurley with Midwest Trust Company, and I am just delighted to be a guest at this podcast today.
3: And remember, everybody, hammer the scammers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the
1: Scammercast, your headquarters for education and protection of our elderly from scams worldwide. Be sure to visit us at scammercast.com where you can send us your stories and tips as well as send your feedback and visit our Facebook presence. Thank you for listening to this episode. And until next time, hammer the scammers.
5: The information we share in this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only and should never substitute for appropriate legal, financial, or medical advice from qualified professionals. Always consult with an attorney, physician, or financial professional for the correct guidance for your particular situation.